0: First, let's go to Exodus, and we're going we're to jump in to chapter 3. We talked, uh, we've, we've already talked about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. We talked about the Israelites and how they cried out to the Lord and how the Lord heard their cry. And I want to show you through the word how God responded to their cry. Tonight, I want to say something, and I hope it sits okay with you. Uh. But it's very likely, if not right now, that at some point in your life, you're going to be standing right in the way, right between God, or right between a miracle and and that person that needs a miracle. You're going to be standing between somebody's miracle and and, and themselves. And, And here's the good news, God is the one that puts you there. You might think that if I said that, you know, like, you're, you're standing in the way of somebody's miracle. That sounds like a bad thing, doesn't it? And I'm not, especially if I word it that way, it sure sounds like a bad thing. But God has actually put us in between, a lot of times, in between what he wants to do and the person that he wants to do it to or with or for. Um, and, and he's put you in that place to be a minister of what he wants to do with them. He, he's put you in a place where you're, you're, you're the one that he wants to minister healing through to somebody else. You're the one that he wants to minister the gospel through to someone else. We often say, Lord, let me get out of the way, but God's the one that puts you in the way so that he can use you. God could preach. He could just show up like the, you know, the, the wizard and The Wizard of Oz and just be a big giant head in Lloyd Minster and just show up between the border markers and preach the gospel. And, and, you know, I'm assuming that people would, would stop and cars would pull over and, and those people at Arby's would get a show. But but God doesn't do that, does he? What does the Bible say? How will they believe if they haven't heard? How will they hear if there's not a preacher? How will he preach if he's not sent? So here's the message God doesn't, you know, Romans 10, we, that's this chapter we go to when we want to tell somebody how to get born again, isn't it? It's the great message of the gospel. And yet Romans 10, right in the middle of it, says, here's how they get saved. Here's how they believe. If they believe, they'll be saved. But how will they believe if there's not somebody to preach to them? Now, we, we live in a world where we say, well, if God wants them saved, he'll get them saved. Well, God put you in that position. Has anybody seen Jesus walking down 50th Ave, witnessing to people? Could he? Yeah. Jesus appears to people even today. We've heard stories of people in isolated parts of the Middle East, heavily Muslim populations, where Jesus appeared to them and said, I'm the way. And yet... The the method, the primary method, if not the exclusive, the primary method that God uses to get the gospel out is through people. The primary method that God uses to heal the sick. If they don't know, I mean, I'm talking about people that don't know how to go to God. I'm talking about people that don't know that they can be healed. But God wants to heal them. He wants to show his power in their life. He wants to use you. He wants to use people. So we're going to read in the beginning of Exodus chapter 3 how God sets out to deliver his people and how he uses a man to do it. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, I mean... They're calling it the mountain of God now, and it had history to it, but you notice there aren't a whole lot of people camping around this mountain. Israelites are in Egypt. Jethro's over at home, and Moses is just, you know, taking care of the sheep. He didn't go looking for God, but he comes to this place, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. Now, that's the cool part. I mean, you talk to people who live in the desert, when it gets real hot, bushes burst into flames. That's not unusual. What's unusual is that it's burning, but it's not getting burned up. And of course, that's a cool picture of what God does with us, isn't it? That when the fire of God, when we're on fire for Him, when His fire is, is burning in us and burning through us and burning on us, uh, we burn, but we're not, consume, we're, not, we're not burned up, we're not burned out. We're not, we're not destroyed by that fire. So here's, here's the thing. It's not odd. And, and like I said, you can talk to people that, that live in these areas. It's not, it's not completely unheard of for a bush to burst into flames. It is unheard of for that bush just to keep burning and never get any smaller, never seem to be consumed by it. So that's what impresses Moses. Moses, Moses doesn't say, let me turn aside. There's a fire. He says, this is a weird thing. This is a marvelous thing. There's a bush. And it's not being burned up. In verse 4, he says this. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. It's a good answer. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place in which you're standing is holy ground. And he said also, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, "'I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians.' and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I'll send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And I want you to see the contrast in what God said and what Moses repeated back to God. That's the thing. I mean, how many of you have ever tried this with your kids? You said, "You said this is what I want you to do. I want you to go over there. I want you to take the garbage to the curb. I want you to also take the recycling to the curb, but put them a meter apart. And you tell them all this, and then what do you say? Tell me what I just said to you. Repeat that back to me. Because how many times do the kids just kind of look at you and go, "Uh uh uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. What did I say? You said something about garbage and something about, okay, let me tell you again. You can learn a lot by what somebody repeats back to you after you said something to them. What did God say to Moses? Let's answer this question. Who did he say was going to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Like, who did he say? Watch what he says. Watch what God says. Does he ever mention Moses' name? No. Moses is going to play a part. Moses is going to be involved. But who's the one that's doing the work? Who's the one that he says is ultimately going to bring them out? He says, and let's read it again. He said, I've seen what they're going through. I've, I've, I've heard their cry. I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them Up from that land to a good and spacious land. God said, I have come down to bring them out of Egypt and to bring them into a good land, to deliver them from from the Egyptians, to bring them out and to bring them in. Moses repeats back to God, who am I that I should bring them out? God never said, you bring them out. He said, I've come to bring them out. Now, Moses is partly right here, guys, isn't he? Because God wants to use Moses. God is going to use Moses. God is going to use Moses as the, as the, the mouthpiece, as the uh, instrument of deliverance. But nowhere in this little speech that God gives does he say, Moses, you need to figure out a way how to let my people go. He says, I'm going to bring them out. Moses says, I can't. And then God says this, and thank God God is merciful to us and he, he's patient with us. God says, Certainly I will be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that it is I who've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What should I say to them? Now, we, we sometimes pass this over as a, a simple exchange. But this is very significant because this is the moment that God reveals his name to Moses. Previously, he's referred to himself as God. Previously, he said, I, this is what I'm going to do. He's about to say, I am Yahweh. He's about to say, I am that I am. And there is so much tied in, we're not gonna get on all that tonight, but there's so much tied up in his name and the fact that he revealed his name to Moses. But he says this, he says, if they say what is his name, so this is how far, this is how far the Israelites have gotten. This is how far they've gotten from the God of their fathers. Oh, guys, you've read the Bible. Uh, do you, did Abraham ever go, you know, uh, you know, in his conversations with God and uh, he's been spending time with the Lord and God shows up and says, Abraham, I have something to say to you. Did Abraham ever say, what's your name? Wh- which God am I talking to? No, he knew who he was talking to. When Isaac spoke to the Lord, when when the Lord spoke to Isaac, Isaac knew who he was talking to. Jacob knew who he was talking to. But now the Israelites have gotten to this place where they've been beaten down, they've been crushed, they've been separated and distant, that they are crying out to God. But Moses is concerned if I show up and they say, what's his name? What will I say your name is? Has that ever been a problem for you? You ever showed up at church and said, Wait, who are we worshiping? What's his name? But this is what they're dealing with. This is where they're at. And this is what some of Moses' fears. He says, what do I tell them? And God responds. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And boy, I mean, you could preach three sermons right from that phrase. I am who I am. I mean, everything is wrapped up in that, isn't it? That is the ultimate That is the ultimate hope that whatever we need, whatever is required, he is. God doesn't just have, he is. Jesus doesn't say I know the way, he says I am the way. He doesn't say I have the truth, he says I am the truth. He doesn't say I have life, he says I am the life. You see this all throughout the Bible, God calling himself this, I am. Jesus, when he was walking on the, uh, uh, walking by the, the boat and the disciples are worried, it's the middle of the night and they see him walking. And they say, who is it? Is that you, Lord? And he says, I am. This is, this is such a powerful thing. He says, tell them I am who I am sent you. This will, you will say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God, furthermore, said to Moses, thus shall you say to the sons of Israel, the Lord The God of your fathers. And when it says the Lord, you notice in your Bible, how many many of you in your Bible, Lord is all capital letters there? There's a reason for that. When you see Lord, and it's just capital L, and then it's lowercase O-R-D, most of the time in your Bible, that's the word Adonai. And the word Adonai is Hebrew for master. So it would mean Lord, but you would use that for you know, your governor as well as the Lord, your God. But the reason that your Bible capitalizes L-O-R-D is because this is a different word. This is not just Lord. This is not just another way to say God or master. This is Yahweh. This is Yahweh. This is his name. And I know I've said this probably too many times tonight, but we could spend a long time just on the name Yahweh. We won't tonight. And we might wrap back around to it, but this this name Yahweh is what God called himself. And he didn't just tie it to some idea. He he told them, he tied himself to the covenant he made with them. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of your fathers. You heard the stories. Here I am. And I've kept my promises to them, and I'm keeping my promises to you. Isn't it wonderful that you still worship that same Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That yid, hey, Vad, hey, that God who is and who is to come, the God who says, I am. Whatever the question is, I am is the answer. What a beautiful thing. He says. Tell them, tell them that Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. One thing about the name of God. See, today we think of names It's just a a sound we make that somebody responds to, right? So if I say, Tony. How many of you, when I said Tony, thought of the meaning of the name Tony? No, you just know who I'm talking about. This is Tony. When I say Tony, Tony looks up. But a name especially in this day and age that we're reading from that name was more than just a sound you responded to the name was everything it was your character your reputation your legacy and god tied everything to his name that was one thing he said to the israelites you know when they were captives in a foreign land and they still didn't get their act together he said i'm bringing you home kids And I'll tell you what, all of these ruined places, all of the broken places, all of the abandoned places, I'm going to restore them. And he says to them, I'm not doing it because you did the right thing, but I'm doing it because of my name. My name will be honored. God has made covenant with us and with our fathers in the faith. When I say our fathers, I'm not talking about your dad. I'm talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Jesus. When I talk about our fathers in the faith, now Jesus, of course, is not in that same category, but he's above all of that. But I'm talking about these men and women of great faith, our fathers and mothers in the faith that trusted in the name of God and that we still hold on to the covenant God made to them. He said, this is my name forever. This is my memorial name to all generations. I've spent a little too much time on this because that's not really my point tonight. But he says, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Yahweh, has sent me, has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. To a land flowing with milk and honey. They will pay heed to what you will say. And you with the elders of Israel will come to the land, the king of Egypt. And you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So now please let's go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all my miracles which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house, articles of silver and articles of gold, clothing, and you will put them on and your sons and your daughters. Thus, you will plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? What did God just say to him? They will pay heed to what you say. What did Moses say? But what if they don't? Then he says, For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, It's a staff. Then he said, Well, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Like, God seems like the ultimate prankster at this point, doesn't he? You know? Moses runs away. God, that, was not, that wasn't funny. That was my staff. He runs away. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God, or Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. The Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom and he took it out and behold, his hand was leprous. In other words, it looked like snow. It looked like he had leprosy in his hand. Then he said, put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again, and he took it out, and behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. He said, if they won't believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they will not even believe these two signs or heed what you have to say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry land, and the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent neither recently nor in time past, nor since you've spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, what I love is that Moses keeps coming up with new excuses every time, like God answers each one of his excuses. What was his first one? Well, what if they ask what your name is? Well, here's my name. Well, what if they don't believe me? Well, then do this. Well, what if they still don't? Then do this well, Lord, I, I'm just not a good speaker. <laughs> he says, in times past or recently or in times past. And, and then notice what he says, nor since I've started talking to you. So what he's saying is, God, I wasn't a good speaker today. I wasn't even a good speaker back home when I lived in Egypt. And I got to be honest with you, since we've been talking, I haven't become a better speaker. In this time we've been talking, there's been no miracle here. I am still a bad speaker. He says, I'm slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. Another scripture tells us that Moses was a man of stammering speech. So he he probably stuttered a little bit. Slow of speech, what does that mean? It means... It, you know how you go home and you think about it and you have all the best comebacks and the best responses and you have the best answers for everybody, but in the moment, you have trouble? You ever go home and go, oh, man, if I thought of that, I could have said that. <laughs> you ever, I mean, were you that kid in school that, that you did study and you, you, you did your best, but when the teacher would say, you know, Chance, what do you think about that? Uh, uh, uh. Moses says, that's my problem. I'm slow of speech, like I don't, I, but words don't come out of my mouth right away, so I stutter. I, I'm slow of tongue. I, 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 I haven't gotten better since we've been talking. And notice what keeps happening, is God keeps saying, this is what I will do. And Moses keeps saying, but this is what I can't do. God puts the focus on himself. Do you see God pumping up Moses? Do you see God trying to appeal to Moses' vanity and say, Moses, here's why I picked you. You're a handsome man. Do you remember they saved your life because you were a beautiful boy? How many, how many boys get, said, get that said about them, that they are beautiful? Moses, you're, you're a good-looking young man. Moses, you have, look at your muscles. Moses, you got big muscles. God doesn't pump Moses up. He doesn't talk about how important Moses is. He says nothing about Moses. Everything he says is about himself because that's where the focus should be. I will bring them out. Here's who I am. Here's my covenant that I made. I am the Lord, their God, and not only that, but I'm the God of their fathers that made a promise to them to bring them into a land. I'll do it. But Moses keeps saying, but I can't do it. And like it or not, we do this all the time, do we? God says to him, and, and, and you could tell that God is amping up the volume in this conversation. Because I don't know how your translation reads, but when I read verse 11, I picture God kind of getting a little louder. I picture him getting a little bit more intense. He said, who made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now then go, and I, even I. Do you like that? you like how he says that? <laughs> Just, I'm going to hammer it into your head. Your, your thick skull, Moses, listen to this. I, even I. He says I twice, even in the Hebrew. Go look it up. He says I, even I, <laughs> will, be with you, will be with your mouth. And I will teach you what you are to say. But he said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Now, that sounds like a sentence of surrender. Oh, Lord, use whoever you want. That is a cop-out sentence. Moses is not saying, yes, Lord, I'm here, Lord. Oh, use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. You notice it says, but Moses said. It doesn't say, and Moses said. It says, but Moses said. Please, Lord, use whoever you want to use. This is the nicest way. This is about as close as you get to saying, pick somebody else to God. Do you know what I hear a lot? When we're, we're getting volunteers, sometimes we'll ask somebody, and somebody will say, well, if you need me. If you need me is about as close as we get to saying no. No. No, I'm not doing that. This is, this is still, and guys, if you've said that, I appreciate your willing heart because you know what? You didn't say no. So I applaud that. But I've been there where you go, uh, if you need me to, if you need me to is code for please don't pick me. Pick somebody else. I'm not, I'm not bold enough to say no to you or I'm not rebellious enough to say no, but I will say this, please don't pick me. Please pick someone else. Moses says, Uh, Use whoever you want to use. So here's what God does. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Anybody here want to feel the anger of the Lord? No, nobody likes that. The anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Why? Because Moses keeps bringing up his own insufficiencies, his own deficiencies, rather than focusing on what God is saying. He said, Is not, they're not your brother Aaron the Levite. I know that he speaks fluently. Now, you might think that God, this was his plan all along because Aaron was a better speaker. But I'll tell you this. I truly believe Moses was God's first choice. But Moses would not accept it. So God said, fine, I'll let Aaron do it. And He speaks fluently. Moreover, behold, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him, and you are to put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth. So now we've added a person to the equation. I'll be with your mouth, I'll be with his mouth. And I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people. And he will be as a mouth for you, and you will be as God to him. You shall take in your hand this staff with which you will perform these signs. Just ask yourself this question. Do you think it might have been easier if God just showed showed up in Egypt and said, I'm coming to get you guys. Come on. Why didn't God just make a giant, you know, he made a burning bush. Why not just a giant, you know, bonfire that all of Egypt could see? And speak to all the people and say, come on, we're going home. Because that's just usually not the way God does things. God uses people. Standing between Israel and their deliverance is a man who has to believe God. Standing between somebody in Lloydminster right now and their salvation is you. You're standing between them and their salvation. And God's the one that puts you there. God puts you there. You may say, I don't want to be there. I don't want that kind of responsibility. Let me out of the way. God, you just talk to them. And he says, no, I'm not just going to talk to them. I want you to do it. There's somebody that needs to be healed, and you're right in the way of their miracle. And it's not that you need to get out of the way. It's that you need to put your faith in God and be the vessel. Nowhere, you notice how many times Moses tries to wiggle out of this, God doesn't let him wiggle out of it. He keeps him. Every time Moses makes an excuse, God says, no, well, here you go. But when you make too many excuses, then you don't get the perfect plan sometimes. Sometimes you get plan B. Now, God saw this way ahead of time. God's not surprised. He's not disappointed But I truly believe if Moses had had his act together, it would have just been him going to Pharaoh. Do you think it was God's plan that Moses be like God to Aaron? No. God wanted to be God to Moses. And Moses goes speak to Pharaoh, but Moses wouldn't have it. So God made an exception for him. We serve a merciful God but not before God, Moses felt a little bit of God's anger and uh, felt a, a little bit of, of God's correction. I'm reminded when we read this, I'm reminded of Jeremiah. You guys remember Jeremiah? That beautiful, that, that, that amazing first chapter of Jeremiah where God says, I, need, I want you to speak to my people. I've chosen you. I saw you before you were in your mother's womb. I picked you. Jeremiah says, Lord, I can't be that guy. I can't be your prophet. I can't be used by you because I'm a youth. I'm too young and no one will listen to me. What does God say to Jeremiah? And you can go back and look at this in Jeremiah 1. God says to Jeremiah, don't ever say I'm a youth again. Does that mean that Jeremiah aged 15 years in the conversation? He's still just as young as he always was. But God said, don't ever use that excuse again. For wherever you go, I'm sending you. And wherever I tell you to say, you're going to say. He tells them later, look, I'm watching over my word to see that it happens. Your job, Jeremiah, isn't to make sure I keep my word. Your job is to tell them what I told you to tell them. It's my job to make it happen. See, here's the great news of the gospel is that when we stand up and proclaim what the Lord told us to proclaim, it's his job to get people saved, not yours. You're not. You don't need to save anybody. You're there to proclaim. You know. You don't need to heal anybody. He's the healer. But he wants to use you. You don't need. You don't need. You don't need to be to be the scary, uh, <laughs> the scary face that casts the evil spirits out. He, his name will do that. But he wants to use you. You're the one that proclaims the name. Jesus gave us his name. It's an amazing thing to me that Jesus sent out his disciples ahead of him and he said, You go do this. Preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out evil spirits, raise the dead. Freely you've received, now freely give. Jesus said, In my name you'll do all these things. Nowhere does he say, Guys, I don't need you anymore. When the church begins in the book of Acts, Jesus is not physically walking around but His Spirit is with each and every one of them. Moses, Jeremiah, all of the rest of them are standing between their people and their people's deliverance. What do they need to do? They need to first and foremost have faith in God. That's what you need to have. God has put you in between somebody and their miracle. God puts you in between somebody and them hearing the gospel. God has put you in the path. Will you be an obstacle or will you be the vessel that God uses? You see, you can be a stumbling block or you can be the instrument. It's up to you. Now, what's cool about this to me is that through all of this, God says, I'm the one that's going to do it. Moses, I'll bring them out. I'll deliver them. I'll do these signs and wonders. I'll do the miracles. I'll bring them into the land. God says, I, even I will do this. But Moses still has a part to play. What's his part? He needs to speak and he needs to believe God. Right? Let me ask you a question. When the disciples cast an evil spirit out of somebody, whose power got that done? It's the power of God, right? It's the name of Jesus. It's the power of God. It wasn't the disciples that it wasn't their willpower, it wasn't their strength. But remember when Jesus came down the Mount of Transfiguration with, two, with three of his disciples, he came down and there was a, as an angry parent, you know, <laughs> this kind of reminds me of like, you know, it hasn't happened in a long time, but every, there's been times in history where you get, you get done preaching and the power of God was in the service and And there's an angry parent who's got something to say about what happened in children's ministry that day. Well, this kind of happened. Jesus came down from the mountain, and there's a father that said, My son is an evil spirit, and your disciples couldn't cast it out. And the disciples said, What did we do wrong? Why couldn't we do that? Jesus said, Because your faith is so tiny. Oh, man. None of us ever picture Jesus saying that to us. Jesus is supposed to say, Oh, Little little darling, little darling, it wasn't your fault. Oh, it wasn't your fault. I didn't want them to be delivered quite yet. You did your job. Jesus said, you of little faith, how long do I have to put up with you? (laughs) Nobody's painted that picture of Jesus. (laughs) He said, and this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. Now, Jesus was, I mean, Jesus wouldn't have said that unless they knew he loved them. And he didn't cast them out. He didn't, say, he didn't say to his disciples, well, that was your last chance. I'm not using you again. But he said, you guys needed to have faith. Now, listen, he didn't say you needed more power, did he? Yeah. Faith is attaching to God's power. Right. God had all the power to cast out those evil spirits. They needed to trust God. He said, you need to be praying and fasting. Now, let me ask you a question. Why didn't Jesus, when he saw that kid, recognize that it was an evil spirit that needed prayer and fasting to cast out? Why didn't Jesus go and say, I need a minute. I need a couple days to pray and fast. Because Jesus had already been praying and fasting. He's already built up. See, we should already be built up for moments like that. You don't encounter a moment and say, oh, man, I'm not ready for this. I need to go do some prayer and fasting. No, you should be prayed up. But guys, don't ever let that. Oh, please, please hear me now. Don't ever let that be your excuse. Because I know the lies of the devil. And you know what the devil would love to say to you? The next time you're in a position to be the hands and feet of Jesus, he'll say to you, ah, you didn't pray and fast, did you? Your faith is puny, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Don't even try. Don't even, don't believe that. Trust in God. God wants it more than you want it. God wants people healed more than you want them healed. God wants people saved more than you want them saved. God wants people delivered more than you want them delivered. Trust me in this, that he wants you to trust him in this. And you, you, God put you right in the middle of a miracle. So here's what I do. When I think of that story where Moses says, I have slow speech, I have a stammering tongue, and God says to him, I'm the one that made your mouth. I'll be with you. I will be with your mouth. And I think of Jeremiah where God says, Don't you ever say I'm a youth again. I put my excuses, I use that like a fill in the blank, like a mad lib. (laughs) And where God says to Jeremiah, don't ever say, I am a youth. I take out, I am a youth, and I put whatever my excuse is right there. Don't ever say, I'm too, I'm too much of a new believer. Don't ever say, well, I'm a woman, I can't do that. Don't ever say, I'm, I'm, well, I, I, I'm just not as educated. Don't ever say, I'm not a pastor. Don't ever use those examples when it's something that God has given to the whole church to do. You know, in, the, in Mark chapter 16, it says, these signs will follow them that have believed, doesn't say these signs will follow them that have a Bible school degree. It says these signs will follow them that have believed. There are, now there are roles that certain people play. There are roles and we don't all have the same role. But I'll tell you, the work of Jesus is meant to be done by the people of Jesus. He put you in between somebody and their miracle. Will you be the stumbling block, the obstacle, or will you be the instrument? That God uses. In order for you to be an instrument, you have to be ready to stop saying, I can't because of this. I can't because of this. Because what's his name? His name is Yahweh. I am. His name is I am. Well, I, I'm not a good speaker. I am. Well, I'm not very powerful. I am. I'm not very educated. Well, I am. Whatever your excuse is, his answer is I am. Doesn't need you to be. He needs you to know he is. That's your answer. And the sooner we start believing that, the sooner we see God moving in a great way through us. I am, he says, I am. Your excuses need to die. You know, I just say what Paul says. Look, I've got weaknesses, but I know where I'm weak, he's strong. His power is made perfect in my weaknesses. So therefore, let the weak say, I am strong. Those areas where you are not sufficient, he is more than sufficient. His grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect. In the areas you don't measure up, that's where his power comes in. I think he wanted to pick a guy who was of stammering speech and slow slow tongue. I think he picked him for that reason. That was part of the reason. It wasn't the whole reason, but it was part of the reason. Do you notice God didn't didn't make him the best speaker from birth? God picked him. You know, he picked him. He he raised him up. He saved his life as he was floating down the Nile, as Pharaoh tried to kill all the baby boys. God saved this kid's life. He groomed him from a small child. And you might say, God, if you groom this boy from the time he was a baby, why didn't you give him the ability to speak well? Because we don't put our hope in the flesh. We don't put our hope in God. I'll close up with this point but, in, a, in a, about five minutes, but just think about this. How many of you, and this may be just a church kid, thanks, so you guys may not have done this, but how many of you had little Bible action figures growing up? Just me, right? Just me? I thought so. <laughs> Anybody have uh, Bible Nintendo games? Just me? All right. I figured, (laughs) I had GI Joes and I had Bible action figures and they fought together for the sake of the gospel. Ironically, Goliath's head fell off. It fell off. It just literally fell. It was not designed to fall off, but it fell off. So I don't know if I'm telling, I might be telling you too much now, but I had a little fort that I had made and Goliath's head fell off and there was a dowel on his head and I tried to stick it back on his body, but never stayed. So I stuck his head on the corner of my fort as, a, as a, an example to any of... I've told you too much, haven't I? I've gone too far. I've gone too far. Our chance is leaving. <laughs> All right, here's what I'm getting at. I had a Samson action figure. Anybody ever seen the drawings of Samson? What does he look like? He's buff, isn't he? Why? Why would he be buff? How do you get buffed? How do you get strong? You, you work out. You, resi- you lift something. It, you, you do something that's hard. It's resistance. You're lifting something that's heavy for you. Samson, I don't think, I don't think there's any ind- indication he was naturally strong. But when the Spirit of God came on him, he did supernatural things. Why in the world would that guy have big muscles? He's probably a pretty skinny guy, pretty trim. He's probably just like everybody else. There's no reason that guy has bigger muscles than anyone else. Why is it when his hair got cut, he lost all his power? You think his arms just shrunk? No. It was not the power of man that was delivering Israel, it was the power of God. See, and that's the problem. We picture the superheroes of the faith as these muscled people that have good speaking ability, that have, you know, a bold personality, that have all these these natural abilities and components. And I'm telling you now, it's the power of God. I want somebody to make a Samson action figure that's scrawny. And just watch this guy shake his hair and the power of God comes on him. Because God uses the weak of the world. He uses the not so mighty, the not so wise, the not so noble. And you know what? He doesn't keep them that way. He says he uses them to confound the wise. So, whatever your excuses are, answer your excuse with his assertion I am. Whatever you're not, I am. You are in the way, you are in the middle right between somebody and their miracle. And God's the one that puts you there. What will you do? What will you do? Be used of God, amen? Stand up with me tonight.